You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shot blocked. Porzingis with his fourth projection. What he does is contagious. It comes infectious. And across the lane. Baker launches it. Jack to Porzingis. Fires up the ball. Welcome, everybody, to Lockdown Knicks, the podcast that's in the 99th percentile of explaining, complaining, last but not least, and entertaining. I'm your host, James Marcita, a.k.a. James Marcita Wallace. Sods don't lie. You may know me as the founder of NBA Injury Report on Twitter, and this is episode 284. Woo! On today's sode, we're joined by guest Drew Steele. You may know him as Scooter Toots on Twitter. He is the editor-in-chief over at Holy Field Sports, a wonderful website. We're going to talk about a couple things. First, we're going to talk about Trades Burke's role on the Knicks going forward based on what we've seen so far. What should that role be? What should we expect out of him next season? Then we're going to pop quiz each other on some Knicks stats. You'll find out things like who leads the league in plus minus per game since KP went down, who has the most deflections per game, uh, who leads the Knicks in clutch three-point shooting, and a lot more. It was a good episode. Really enjoyed talking to Drew, like I always do. Always might be a stretch because this is only the second time, but both times I've enjoyed it. So he's batting a thousand so far. You guys are gonna like it, I'm sure of it. All right, enough of my rambling. Let's start the show. Hit it, Marv. Yes. So we've seen what Trey Burke can do for a few months now, given a heavier workload. Based on what we've seen, based on everything we know about him, based on what we know about the Knicks. Based on what we know about the nature of the universe, I've got one leg up right now in my hands in like a namaste kind of prayer hands pose. What, in your opinion, Drew, um, should Trey Burke's role be going forward on this team starting with next season? This is kind of a tough call because I'm skeptical of Trey Burke's performance uh-huh. as it like as it, it's going to sustain. So for me, it's more of like he's going to eventually regress and he should be more of like the first guard off the bench leading a bench unit. But if he's going to be this like hyper efficient right. for the remainder of his career, then you kind of have to consider maybe he should start pl- like starting. It seems, so it's it's tough. Po- it seems impossible that he'll stay this efficient though, right? Or do you think there's some precedent for... So I dove into some of these numbers because there's some like crazy efficiency with Trey Burke going on. So especially for the mid range. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's shooting right now as, you know, when we recorded this, looked up, he's shooting 56.9% from, from mid range. So I'm, so I decided to look up like, who, and that's on, th- and that's an, an average of 3.5 mid range field goal attempts per game. Okay. So I wanted to look up who has averaged more than 50% on similar volume or more. And the list is, for the most part, like Hall of Fame guys <laughs> and like <laughs> right. some random people. So it's like, it's Chris Paul, JJ Redick, Dirk, 
um, Steve Nash, and then you'll get like random guys. They go like Steph Curry did it for a year. Then you have random guys like Serge Ibaka and Luke Ridenour. So, but, <laughs> right, but yeah. here's the, the immortal thing Luke Ridenour. Exactly. But here's the crazy thing on it: Steph Curry, and this was between um, like two, like the past ten years. So Steph Curry had the highest back in I forget the year exactly, but he had, but he averaged uh, 59.4 per, uh, field goal percentage from mid range. Wow, that was like high. Yeah. Then everyone else basically hovered around like that 50 to like 52 range. And the highest of that was Dirk. Again, I kind of forget the year offhand, but that was 52.9%. So everyone kind of hovered around 50 um, percent as like the high for that similar volume. So historically, you don't go, you don't see like 50, you know, 55, 56 Back until ninth, uh, back to the 99-2000 season with John Stockton, and then you have in 1996-97, you have like Steve Kerr, Del Curry, and Muggsy Bogues, averaging like 55 to 57 percent. So you're talking about like the best of the best shooters who are averaging this high percentage that Trey Burke is doing during this stretch. So historically, I don't know if it's sustainable. That's the thing because. When he first, you know, was called up from the G League, um, after he'd been up for about a week or two, I just wanted to put his stats in context, and I was reading up, reading off all these numbers, and I was like, well, right now, offensively, he's playing, like, more or less the best point guard in the league. Yeah, exactly. And to, I guess the, like, argument in his favor would be that, like, he's somehow kind of sustained that, um, or, like, close to those, like, just ridiculous levels those first couple weeks. But when I think about like regressing, I think about a couple of things. Um, one would just be the like the time of year into which he entered the scene, where the Knicks are just full blown tank. And you know from you know watching the Knicks for years and years, like even like when they were good, they weren't good against bad teams. They would always play down to them, and like other mm-hmm. teams do that too. You know, so when it's the beginning of the season and people are more like in a dogfight to establish themselves. I'd be curious to see how, you know, he responds to that when he is known to be actually the guy who's going to start every game. Like, because the, their rotations have been up and down, right? Like, you don't know from game to game who's going to be the starter. So what happens when people start game planning for him? And the thing I really think about a lot is you mentioned all these guys who are just like people like a Steph Curry or a Steve Nash who are just like deadly three-point shooters, or mm-hmm. maybe are like really good at getting to the rack, and you know Steve, uh, you know uh, Burke obviously is good at driving, but he is very small, and it remains to be seen like how good a finisher he can be. His three point shooting is good, but it's not necessarily like lights out. Um, so I wonder, like, without those weapons that people are terrified of letting him get anywhere else, and then like the mid range is kind of open. If he's still able to knock down those shots at those clip at that clip, yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see. I will say there is some interesting stuff on cleaning the glass with Burke for shot selection. Like you bring it up, uh-huh. um, his like mid range shooting like uh, frequency has gone up um, since he joined the Knicks, and that's and it correlates to the Knicks being you know like the most like trigger happy mid range shooting team. <laughs> <laughs> of the past couple of years. Right. Right. So, but like back in Utah, Utah kind of does, you know, does more of like the Mori ball 
sort of thing where it's like, you know, shots at the rim or three points cut down in the mid-range. And his mid-range frequency does cut down relative to where Utah was in terms of, like, mid-range shooting attempts. So there is some good news. There is some kind of historical precedent where maybe a different coach or a different system that Hornacek, you know, if he stays and, you know, puts in place where he's shooting more threes instead of these mid-range shots. So that's kind of, like, take it for, you know, that's a little, like, information nugget right there. Yeah, he is... um... That cleaning the glass has him listed as a combo guard, which is interesting because I feel like he's played ninety percent of his minutes at point guard, even in the, these two point guard lineups. But yeah. on long mid range shots, his frequency is in the hundredth percentile. Yes, forty <laughs> percent of his shots come from long mid range, and of course, cleaning the glass you know factors out garbage time, which is like probably significant uh, in his case. But I, I, you know, the pattern is there. Um, what? You know, like, so it's in, I was kind of prepared for, I don't know why, but for you to be, like, more of a believer, and I was ready to argue against you. Um, <laughs> I was like, all right, James, yeah. you, you can do it, because um, I tend to, like, want to, like, agree with people just generally in life, which is not necessarily the best radio, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, so I was all, like, ready to, let's phrase it another way, though. If you, like me, think that he's, like, due to regress, like, what percentage chance do you think he has at maintaining what's quite frankly like a star level of you know offensive efficiency like over the course of a season next year because when you talk about sports obviously like everything is really statistics it's you know it's mm-hmm. not every game is, like was predetermined to have this outcome but there was like a percent chance it was going to happen so do you think it's like 10 percent chance that he maintains this next year do you think it's closer to 50 50 where how would you like my it? my initial thought would be like you know you know, ten or less, but yeah. then we got to fact. But then we got to factor in some things like Porzingis is going to come back, and then he, you know, his scoring gravity creates a lot of space, and that could, you know, help, you know, Trey Burke's, you know, efficiency. Um, you know, another year like off season with Tim Hardaway, you know, and folks could help. You know, a new coach could help. Um, who they draft may help. You know, if someone, you know, knock on wood, if you know Mikel Bridges drops. You know, that's a that would be huge for a point guard, you know, whether Trey Burke, Frank, or whoever. So it, there is a chance, so I don't want to say like zero, but there could be a chance where he's still very good and still efficient. So I don't want to rule it out. So I'm probably right. going to go with like 10. All right. Do you think that he should start the season as the starting point guard? I'm going to say No. Even though I would also I would have argued that when he was brought up and when Porzingis went down, he should have started the remainder of the season for this year. <laughs> okay. So it's like a weird thing. So it's more of like it would have been great to see him kind of start and play with the starting lineup to finish, and probably be better to move him into the bench role where he can play more against bench units and have a greater chance of sustaining this efficiency. On offense, and he doesn't have to like guard like the best point guards either. What if Frank keeps struggling next year and Burke looks close to what he's doing now, and then like let's say Frank's the starter? Do you think that's a problem? No, because I think Frank should more than likely be the starter. It doesn't really matter like minutes wise. I think it would be best for Frank to start playing with guys like Tim Hardaway and Porzingis because like you know Frank is more of the pass first. He'll get you the ball in the right spots, get you in the shooting pockets. I would say better than Burke, even though Burke's been actually doing that a lot Burke's better. Burke's been doing it really well. Out. Yeah, I think he's been really good at that lately. Yeah, it's been surprising because initially it'd be like, 
oh, Trey Burke's more of like a selfish player off the pick and roll. He just does a pull up, um, you know, a pull up two pointer. But his assist percentage right now is like thirty eight point one. It's so like I charts, can't yeah. yeah. So like I can't say he's actually selfish as because he's literally generating buckets. And in the flow of the game, he's been doing like the classic great point guard thing where you um, only look for your shot second. And then he'll aggressively look for his shot, but he's been like trying to dish like to start the game, I would say. Yeah, like he's surprisingly been playing like well. Like earlier when he was playing more, he was looking a lot more for a shot. Yeah. But he's been a lot more comfortable lately playing with the two guard lineups and like looking for people. He's been, he's been really impressive. Do you think. Not having Chris Depps back until, let's say, around December, January next year. Does that affect how much we're able to learn about Trey Burke? Or do you think you can kind of, it's not that big a deal? I think with Trey, it's not that big a deal. Only because, like, he's putting all these numbers up without Porzingis. Right. So, like, he's, like, he's super efficient without him. So, he's you would only suspect he would be not more efficient, but at least sustain it in some sort of way with him so because like Porzingis helps everyone out like he yeah. just makes everyone better yeah yeah there's no way he wouldn't make I mean he creates so he has so much gravity he creates space for these point guards to operate you know especially if he's playing center and then his cancer yeah, exactly. is not out there you know what I mean <laughs> so do you trust the Knicks to handle this right with him and Frank no not at all <laughs> I mean, like like I don't think this organization really gets the benefit of the doubt no. With anything, especially for over the past what now? How long has James Dolan owned the team? Like twenty five years? Yeah, that's about like right. That. Mm-hmm. Like there's just there's never a trust with them until it's always they like they have to they have to earn the trust again at this point because I just I don't believe it because I felt like they botched the whole Moody Frank Burke situation to end the season. Um, it was mainly because I thought like Burke should start have Frank and Moutier like play with each other off the bench because like that, that was, you know, that was originally what they said they were going to do. Yeah. Then they didn't do it. And then they paired up Frank and Burke and then Moutier got to the bench. Like the whole thing, like you said, the rotations have been, no one knows on a day-to-day basis. And I just thought they didn't, in, you know, implement any sort of plan to end the season. Like they knew the season was over when Porzingis was injured. Yeah. So like stick to something and they didn't stick to anything. And so that's why I don't have to trust. Yeah. And it was, it's frustrating with Frank too. Cause like, you know, you want him to get some off ball reps. It's good for his versatility, but his off ball reps looked like more of the Lance Thomas, just park your ass in the corner and never move, especially like offensively. Right. Versus yeah. like the Tim Hardaway coming off some curls, even though they could do more of that with Hardaway to be honest. But he is they have more active plays for him than they do for like a Lance. But it seems like Frank's been in that weird like Lance role of just not being active when he's off ball, not getting a lot of primary facilitator reps. That's been frustrating. The one thing that I could like if I have to make the case for what the Knicks do making sense, I think I would say like they're skeptical about Moutier. This would this would be the, to me this would be the most comforting like thought with the whole like Moutier Trey Frank thing. They thought it was worth rolling the dice on Moutier. We're very skeptical. We're kind of leaning toward like we probably not going to work out, but let's give him like as much as we can to the end of the season. See if it makes any kind of sense, and then like if it doesn't, just cut him and be done with it and not have him next year. Yeah, that would potentially be the best thing because Moutier really hasn't shown too much. I don't. I'm not a fan. He might still put it together, but he has so many areas of weakness and no real areas of like NBA strength. I, I just don't see it with him. 
well, that's why I kind of wanted like him and Frank to play with each other because that first game with the pis- not the, the Pacers, they looked really well together, and they were like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Like they're both like six five. They both have pretty long wingspans. They complement each other. They played off each other, and then they stopped. And then like they threw Moody into the starting lineup, and he was just out of his element because I don't think he had the game, you know, you know, the plays memorized yet or anything like that. They just like threw threw him into the fire. Yeah. That he didn't play well, and then Moody's, and then it's like, oh, oh well. It's like you didn't help him at all in any way. <laughs> yeah, his defense is just so terrible. His shot's so weird. He's bad at finishing. Like, I, there's just so many things in concert together that you're like, eh. like even if Frank never gets any better offensively, which is like not going to happen. Like, of course he is. <laughs> He's so good at defense that you're like, yeah, it's like a useful player, you know. And Moody is just so far away from that. But I don't want to spend too much time ragging on him. God knows I've done plenty of that in the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any final Burke thoughts or should we move on to our uh, stats segment? I I think I'm good. With Burke, I think I I think I said my piece on him. Okay, so I want to talk. I want to. Drew and I are going to give each other a pop quiz on some Knicks stats. But before we do that, just want to remind you guys that you are listening to Lockdown Knicks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network in the entire universe. Pop quiz time. I feel like I want like a funny name for the segment, but I don't really have one. Like maybe like pop quiz hot shot. But do people even get that reference? Do you get that reference? I do not get that reference. I think. See, I don't even remember what it's from now. I think. <laughs> I think it's from Speed. Like, have you seen Speed? Not in a very long time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's dated. I don't know. But anyway, the idea here is that Drew and I are going to go back and forth, quizzing each other on Nick's trivia based on statistics from this season. Um, and you guys can play along at home, too. You can guess, too. And then we'll talk a little bit about each stat. So, do you want to start asking questions, or should I? I'll start. All right. I'll- so we're, I'm going to throw some some stats out from Cleaning the Glass. So the first question is, according to Cleaning the Glass, which five-man lineup that does not include Porzingis mm-hmm. and has played more than 100 possessions together has the best per 100 possession point differential? Okay. So my first question is, um, <laughs> which I, you asked the question, how many possessions are like in a minute? Because I was looking at similar stats on NBA.com, and it's all like minutes-wise. Would you say like two or three? Three. Yeah. Four? So possessions are actually there's actually a calculation for percentages. Uh, but possessions. I'm sorry. There is a calculation for possessions. There's like a rough one and then a more accurate one. Uh-huh. I don't have the formula off the top of my head. Yeah. But it's actually like specifically calculated based on, like, I believe like turnovers, field goal attempts. Like minutes played or something like right. that. Okay, all right. All the, all the stat nerds are like probably yelling at me right now, but there, <laughs> but there is a formula to calculate percentages. Okay, I've been possessions. Oh god. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna say a hundred possessions. You said that's pretty small. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say Trey Burke and Frank are in there. I'm gonna say Timmy's in there, and then I'm gonna say. They haven't played much together, so I was going to say like Beasley and Kyle O'Quinn, but I think it might be... I was doing kind of similar research. 
I uh-huh. think, and I was kind of horrified to find one of the good lineups was those three I just mentioned, plus Beasley and Cantor, believe it or not. Oh, wow. But uh, no, that is not. Good. Cantor. So you got three of the five players, right? Okay. So Michael Beasley's in there. Kyle Quinn's in there. Oh, shit. Okay. Frank Nealakila's in there. And then the last two, Courtney Lee and Dougie McBuckets. And Dougie McBuckets! Oh, Dougie. What could have been? That's interesting. Do you want to know what the worst lineup was according to Cleaning the Glass for the same uh, criteria? Beasley and Cantor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start off with Beasley and Cantor. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a good place. Has Moutier been around long enough for that? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's go with... His defense is okay sometimes, but how about a Lance Thomas? Surprisingly, Lance Thomas is not. Okay. And then, hmm, I'm trying to like, who even, who's on the Knicks this year? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell me, tell me the last two. Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway Jr. Okay. I probably should have guessed Courtney Lee because he's one of those guys who like has such a good rep. And then you look at his box score every game, you're like, why is he so far down in plus minus? Yeah, Courtney Lee's a, a weird one. I'm pretty sure it probably has to do specifically with the lineup he plays in. Because he's been super efficient this year, you know, before the Porzingis injury and everything. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, that's what I would say. But I think when you see Moutier, Beasley, and Cantor, like, you know it's going to be a recipe for a defensive disaster. Yeah, that is way, yeah, that's horrifying. I, okay. I have a similar question. Okay. But different. So, this is about an individual. Since Chris Depp's Porzingis went down, I believe it was February 6th, was uh, the day that will forever live in infamy. Who leads the Knicks in plus-minus on a per-game basis? Let's say a minimum, like, 15 minutes. Who? Okay. Yeah. Per-game, um, plus-minus. And it's kind of weird because, like, obviously, like, the more minutes you play, the more that's going to fluctuate, you know. Yeah. I want to say it's Trey Burke. He's up there, but it's not Trey Burke. Do you want one more stab at it? Yeah, it's, if it's not Trey Burke, then I actually have no idea who it is. It is Troy Williams. Wow, Troy Williams. Look at that. The thing is, because he's playing 17 minutes a game, and he's minus .6. But that's still okay. really excellent, because, you know... If you like, if he played thirty-four minutes a game, he'd be like minus one point two or whatever. I'm, if I mm-hmm. have my math right, but yeah, and uh, right under him would be Trey Burke, who's in fourteen point seven. Sorry, in twenty-three minutes a game, uh, he's a minus two point six. Do you want to know who has the worst plus-minus on a per game per uh, since KP went down? It's Ennis Cantor, isn't it? Uh, no, it's not. No, <laughs> he's actually middle of the pack. Believe it or not. Oh. Wow, that's surprising. Um, I think it's because they played a lot of like garbage teams and garbage games that don't mean anything, and that's kind of where he thrives. But okay, that could be it. Yeah, it's um, Courtney Lee. Oh wow! In twenty three minutes a game since KP has gone down, he is minus seven point five per game. He's below even Moutier, who in twenty three minutes per game is minus six point nine. That's impressive for Moutier. I have to say because that's such a small amount of time he's been here. And he's already he's already at the bottom. <laughs> I know. God damn. Oh, All right. Hit me with your next question. All right. So it's a true or false question. So mm-hmm. true or false. Based on offensive RPM, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a top 10 small forward, which is how ESPN lists him. 
than and would be a top twenty shooting guard. Okay, well, I mean, based on the way this is phrased, using my my old you know like SAT tutoring skills, I'm going to have to assume this is true. The answer is actually false. Oh, but surprisingly, it's really close. Trick so. For offensive RPM, Tim Hardaway is 12th amongst small forwards. And then if you use that figure to go into the shooting guards, he would be 19th. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, so Tim Hardaway Jr. offensively has, you know, has been like a top 20 wing this entire year, according to RPM, which is, you know, interesting, I would say. Uh, that like, he, I, I, like, if you took out his bad months... <laughs> he's had yeah, like a stretch where he didn't make a three for like five, like six games. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's pretty impressive. Like he had such a fluctuating season where like he had some really high highs. Yeah. And then some bad lows. When he's been healthy, he's had like half a great season and half like a Moutier fart fest. Like there's been no in between. Yeah. He had like a, he had like a 30 point triple double against the Raptors. <laughs> so like, like he's, <laughs> like he's had like some really great moments where like, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah, I think in Utah he hit like a hundred threes. He's had some really outstanding games, but very, very interesting. All right, yeah. I got I got one for you. Okay. This is like a hustle hustle stat. Over the course of the entire season, who leads the Knicks in deflections per game? Minimum fifteen minutes per game. See, I fridge, see. I think if during the beginning of the season. I was going to say Ron Baker, but I don't think it's Baker anymore because like, he's been injured. So I want to say Frank. Frank is number four on the Nets. Oh, wow. Yes. Is it still Baker then, or is it Baker not even the... Uh... Baker, according to my screenshot, did not average 15 minutes a game, so he was okay. disqualified. Then I have no idea who it would be. Is it like someone random like Michael Beasley? It is... The same answer as my last question, and I was surprised by this too. Troy Williams is wow. a- is averaging two point two deflections per game in only seventeen minutes, which is an outstanding number. I like this Troy Williams. Do you like <laughs> Troy? <laughs> I love Troy Williams. He he's I, a great piece. As long as he doesn't think he like needs to be a starter or something, like what a great find. I mean, I think he could be the like pre injury Lance Thomas. Remember when like Lance Thomas was really good for like that half a season. Before he got like injured, yes. Like I think Troy could be that. Who can actually dunk and not have like the weirdest, most awkward like oh, two-handed yeah. pump fake layups? Yes, I think I think Troy I think Troy could do that off the bench for the uh, his double clutch two-handed layups are like so Lance Thomas. Um, just to give you like a quick top five, so Troy Williams is two point two deflections per game. Courtney Lee is one point nine deflections per game. Emmanuel Mudiay one point seven. And Frank Nilakina is 1.6, and Tim Harley Jr. is 1.5. Okay. So, very interesting there. Yeah. Right under that is Kristaps Porzingis at 1.4 deflections per game. Look at KP, still still on the, the leaderboard. <laughs> and the worst is Doug McDermott at 0.4 deflections per game. So. Oh, wow. That's, you know what's really funny when you do like the eye test versus the statistics? It felt like every time I was watching Doug play, he was always deflecting the ball. Mm-hmm. But it clearly wasn't the case, so I thought that's... Yeah, he came in. My eyes have deceived me. Uh Uh-huh, yep. All right, hit me with one. Okay, so this is like a yes or no sort of question. And this is 
worded very interestingly. Like, does Kyle O'Quinn have a better defended field goal differential differential percentage of shots within six feet? So basically, you know, like the difference between like opponents what they usually shoot versus when Kyle O'Quinn's guarding them within six right. feet. Okay. Like, does he have that? Does he have a better figure than LeBron James, Hassan Whiteside, Giannis? Uh, Giannis, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna butcher. Boo! Attendo Kumpo. Attendo Kumpo. Attendo Kumpo. All right, sorry, Giannis. Giannis. Marcus All, Draymond Green, and Stephen Adams. <laughs> so this is so ridiculous that obviously I would assume the answer has to be yes, he does. But you got me with that the last time, so I'm gonna say no, and that he's like just outside those guys. Oh no, the answer is yes. <laughs> you son of a bitch, you. Yeah, so Kyle O'Quinn for so I, I did some a slight filtering to like filter out like Luau Dang's number uh-huh. and uh, and like Paul Millsap's number because Luau Dang played like what like two games this year, right? And Paul Millsap played like thirty. So of a list of guys who like played like forty plus games and average three point three. Like defended field goals attempts per game, mm-hmm. Kyle O'Quinn is 13th in the league in a defended field goal differential percentage. Wow. He has a negative 8.5. Like wow. he's so like opponents are shooting over 8% worse when Kyle O'Quinn is defending them with you know basically like at the rim. That's crazy. Good timing on this too after his block party the other night where he just had five for the second time. Um, yeah, he's he's actually improved year over year. Surprisingly, like it's a weird thing to say, but like defensive awareness, he's like improved that. I don't understand how you improve awareness, but he has. Like he's been a lot better defensively well, this year, obviously, than last year. He's the rare guy who, you know, sometimes when people are raw, but they're extreme athletes, they're like, man, and he only started playing basketball when he was 17, you mm-hmm. know, and like that often winds up being not good and they never live up to their potential. But he's one of these, that's his story too. Like he played football and then he switched to basketball when he was like 16 or something like that. Okay. Um, and so, but it's, I feel like he's someone who maybe had an aptitude for it, but didn't pick it up late and has been like kind of slowly improving maybe a little, couple years behind like some of his peers, like because of that. Um, but I love Kyle O'Quinn so much. I love his game. I think he's perfectly suited to like what you want to do um, with like a modern offense. Obviously he can't really shoot threes, although he's, had a couple of attempts this season. Yes. But like his vision and his ability to keep the ball moving as like, you know, like a homeless man's Marcus all from the top of the key. I mean, like he mm-hmm. makes and he's really cut down on the home run passes cuz like he has that good vision so he's been if anything guilty of trying to get a little too cute with it. Um but even that, I think he's gotten a lot smarter at this year. And I love him. Like I want them to re-sign him for a reasonable. Yeah. He was frustrating last year for me. Like, I remember I wrote something about him last year about, like, his defense on, like, how... Like, the article was, like, discussing, like, how someone you can, like, manipulate, like, defensive box plus minus. Mm -hmm. And, like, some other defensive stats where it's, like, all right, he gets these rebounds and he picks up, like, counting stats, which, you know, inflate sort of these statistics. And he would never... He wouldn't be, like, in the right position sometimes, but opponents would miss, which would then affect, like, differential... Right. Uh, shooting percentage, but this year he's actually improved. You know, like you said, like he passes well, he can hit open, you know, like eighteen footers if you leave him open. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I would. And he's 
and because of like that growth and improvement, like I kind of want to see him around. Plus, he's just a great guy to like watch and cover and all that stuff. He's always like funny. Native New Yorker, yeah. He's got like the intangibles of why you want to root for someone and some basketball skill. So, we definitely want to see him return. I've got a couple of questions based on uh, clutch shooting. But before we get to those, before we get to those, just want to remind you guys, the listeners, that you're listening to Locked On Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes, rate us five stars, leave a couple sentence review. Once again, that's Locked On Knicks. Okay, clutch shooting. Clutch shooting. So these stats that I've been asking, the questions so far, I've been getting my stats from NBA.com. Uh, they define clutch time in a game uh, as, or a clutch shot is any shot taken with less than five minutes to go in a game where the scoring margin is five points or less. Okay, so that's okay. how they, that's how they define it. So I want to know who leads the Knicks in clutch field goal percentage, minimum ten shot attempts in the clutch. So. Not effective field goal percentage, not true shooting percentage, just that old school field goal, field goal percentage. That's what makes it um, a little tricky, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm actually going to go with, even though he had like you know these shooting slumps during the year, I'm going to say Tim Hardaway Jr. Eh. He, um, okay, if it's not Tim. He's middle of the pack for the Knicks. By field goal percentage. Because the okay. thing is, a lot of clutch shots wind up being three-pointers. So ah uh, okay, so it's like it be, tough because like if, it, if you took nothing but th- if you took nothing but threes and shot thirty seven percent, you might not be leading in this category. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So would it be like Cantor then? No, then I don't know. It is none other than super cool bees. Oh wow, he is shooting forty six point four percent field goal percentage, just edging out Kristaps. Who was shooting forty three point five percent field goal percentage? So okay. kind of a weird stat. I don't know how much of that tells you. Let's use one that's a little bit more refined, but still, okay. but still old school three point percentage. So who leads the Knicks in clutch three point shooting percentage? Minimum five attempts. Go with Tim Hardaway Jr. He's up there, but no. Oh no. Um... Who else would be clutch? I'm trying to think like who played in the clutch and who made uh-huh. like three pointers. Um, Courtney Lee. Nope. Then I do not know. This is Chris Dapps Porzingis. Oh wow! He shot 38.1 percent from downtown in clutch situations on the year that was eight for 21. Right behind him, actually, it's a two-way tie. Right behind him. Uh, both Frank Nilakina and Tim Hardaway Jr. shot 37.5% from downtown in the clutch. Um, oh, that's, that's really interesting, and, especially because uh, Frank doesn't really make his shots. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that got me on the Frank train immediately early in the season, um, and I started to think recently, like, was I hallucinating this? He would miss all of his shots and then like make two three-pointers in the fourth quarter. And I'd be like, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds about right. And I'd be like, damn, this guy's got ice in his veins, and you know, his needs to get warmed up. We've seen that it's not so simple. Although I do still think he'll be a good shooter. But on the season, Frank's. I mean, these are all like super small sample size alerts, like obviously. But Frank, yeah. Frank was three for eight in these situations. 
Um, and which is kind of impressive, given that he like barely played any minutes. Although he was a part of a lot of those fourth quarter when the Knicks were like winning games, so maybe not too mm-hmm. shocking. And then Hardaway was six for sixteen from downtown in the clutch. Courtney Lee actually was one for five, so only twenty percent from downtown oh. in those situations. And Trey Burke, as good as he has been, is so far zero for five from downtown in the clutch. So. All right. There you go. Do you have any more questions for me? I got one more for you, but I think you've got a couple, right? I have two more if we have the uh, the time. We do. We, we're we're going to okay. squeeze it in. I'll, I'll, I'll smooth it over with the head honchos upstairs. All right. That sounds good. All right. So in a minimum, so at least 30 pick-and-roll defensive possessions, Yes. who has the best and worst points per possession on defended pick-and-rolls for the role, for the role man? Oh, for the role man. Okay. Yes. For the role man, best I'm gonna guess. I'm guess I'm thinking of two bigs, but actually, you know what? I may have botched it. It may not be role man. I think it's actually for uh the uh, ball handler. The ball handler. Double- yeah, I may have to double check now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is confusing because, like, I, like sometimes the guy defending the ball handler is on the roll man. It, you know, yeah. Like, it, it depends on how they cover it. But given that, I'm going to say, uh, if you think it's on the ball handler, I would say Frank Nilakina has the best. He does not. Interestingly enough, he's, like, one of the best in the league, but, you know, in terms of possessions, that's what kind of gets you. Okay. God, it's not someone like Lance Thomas, is it? No, it's not Lance. <laughs> if it's, it's the w- not Lance. If it's the way I originally interpreted it, I would have said Kyle O'Quinn. Um, it is not Kyle O'Quinn. So I actually messed up. It's actually this is this question was meant for the ball handler. Okay. God, I mean, it, it, is it going to be Timmy? No, surprisingly, in which is interesting, in 31 possessions, Christoph Porzingis has okay. the best points per possession at defending the pick and roll ball handler. Interesting, because he gets. Yeah. I guess that makes sense because like the Knicks, because Frank hasn't played a lot. The Knicks have been so bad at containing the ball handler. So the ball handler is getting to the rim on like every single pick and roll. Where Kristaps Porzingis is basically the best rim protector in the league. Yeah, so I think there could be like an issue of maybe potentially like how they're defining it, but that could be something like that where it's like they get like the the tracking stats for probably NBA.com or they're not even taking the guard into consideration because he's nowhere near him. Yes, no, that but, makes uh, sense. That makes a lot of sense. That, yeah. that could be it. Um, then next was is Michael Beasley at forty-seven possessions. He's at zero point six two points per possession. Wow, and then. And then Frank, with you know, 207 possessions, is at 0.65, okay. which is basically like best in the league when in volume. Right, Still, right. I mean, that's impressive. that's outstanding for that many possessions. Like, that's just, you know. Yes. But you Beasley surprises me. Oh, yeah. Like, you would think Beasley's the worst. But he's... He... I guess, like, he's a he's a decent on-ball defender. Like, he, he, he spaces out and loses his guys for, like, backdoor cuts and shit all the time, but... If he's in front of you, he can do like a credible job. 
I would say. Yeah, like, yeah, it's basically, that's how I feel. Like, Beasley can be good, but he's overall not a good defender because he could just, he gets like, you know, he's like daydreaming on possessions. And you're like, where? why aren't you guarding anymore? Yeah, he probably should have been the defender on the ball handler like a yeah, hundred exactly. more times yeah. and just yeah, went exactly. and like sat down on the bench. So, yeah. Oh, man. Was there a two? Was there a two part of this, or like who was the worst? Yeah. So yeah. So who's the worst as the ball handler? So sorry about the mix up, folks. Ball yeah. handler, not role man. I mean, Cantor. Cantor, surprisingly, no, because he's only had three possessions guarding the uh, okay the ball handler, according to you know NBA.com. Moutier. Uh, interesting enough, Moutier doesn't pop up on the Knicks uh, screen for some reason for this. Okay. But um, I can look up Moutier's numbers, but right now listed on NBA.com, it's Ron Baker. Oh, shit. Ron. Yeah, yeah, Ron Baker on 34 possessions averages, you know, 1.06 points per possession on pick and roll, which is actually the worst on the team for 30 possessions or more. Yeah, that's not good. No, that is not. That is not good. <laughs> you got to work on it, Ron. And I'm still challenging you to a cook-off, Ron. You have not responded. You're hiding. You're ducking me. Um, but I'm not going to let this go. I want to see a chop-style battle between you two. Let's see, that's that's where I'm I'm a little... I do... Well, you know what? I think I would still shine because that's what, like... I haven't, I haven't really, like, honed it on this part of it yet. But, like, a real cook or chef... You could be like, what do I have in my kitchen? All right, I'm going to make this, this, and this. I'm going to add this from the grocery store. I don't think you can do that, Ron. I think Ron can just follow a recipe. That's, but that's just, you know, just me. I don't know. He's, he's got to stop being a coward. That's all I'm going to say. Or you, should, or you should do like a pizza cook-off. Who can make the best pizza? Oh, I've made some pretty good dough in my time. I know all about, it's, it's all about uh, ratios and temperatures Flour, water, salt, yeast, and then you go from there. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. You got to have a lot of, uh, you know, steam in the oven. Oh, I could. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm ready for you, Ron. <laughs> okay, I got a question for you. All right. I got this is my final. My so um, this one is about spot up shooting. Who is the okay. best? Who is the best spot up shooter on the Knicks according to points per possession? Minimum 20 games played. So this one can be a little tricky because when it's points per possession, you're kind of factoring in uh-huh. shot selection too. So obviously like someone who makes 100% of their twos is not going to be as have as high up points per possession as someone who is making 80% of their threes to use two very mm-hmm. realistic Hornacek style uh, numbers yeah. <laughs> to, to illustrate my point. But you feel me. So who has the most points per possessions uh, points per on spot up shots, twenty games played minimum. So so no one could sneak in with like one good game. Okay. Um Is it Porzingis? No, he's good. He's okay. He's he's like good. He's solid, but he's he's kind of middle of the pack for the Knicks. Okay. Then if it's not Porzingis, is it gonna be like Troy Williams again? Or did he not play twenty <laughs> games yet? <laughs> he has not played twenty games, so he does not qualify. <laughs> But it's someone. No, like, I don't. I don't know that. It's Trey Burke. Oh wow, Trey! He's good on spot ups. That's interesting to know. So he his spot ups points per possession one point two four. 
which is 92nd percentile in the league. That's that's really good stuff. It shows his efficiency. Yeah, 13.4% of his shots have been spot-ups. Um, next on the Knicks, way under that but still pretty good, believe it or not, is Lance Thomas. 1.08 points per possession on spot-ups. And luckily, really? yeah, somehow. <laughs> he knows that's the only time he should shoot. And so I'll give him credit. 44% of his shots um, are spot-up shots. I'm just surprised the point per possession is actually that high. Yeah, I guess it's because they're only threes. Yeah, that could be it. Because I feel like I've seen so many like side of the backboard shots from him. But it's... again, that's, it could be the eye test lying to me. So he's in the 72nd percentile. And you asked about Chris Stapps. Chris Stapps is 1.03 points per possession on spot-ups, and that's 60th percentile, which is, like, good, but, you know. I think he got hurt by a lot of just, like... He, you know, Chris Stapps had a great third season, other than getting injured. Um, he showed so much growth, was so happy with what he did, but he did become, like, a chucker after that amazing, you know, first month. And so, Well, a lot of that is probably because of the offense or lack of offense that the Knicks sure. ran. So you could definitely put that because it was basically like, all right, we're just gonna run this play called power. If you guys, if you, if you guys watch the broadcast, you'll hear Jared Jack when he was playing, you know, like power, power. Yep. And it was just, it was just an ISO post up for Porzingis <laughs> or Cantor uh-huh. randomly. Like that's all it was. And then it would just be like a contested, you know, you know, fourteen foot shot, and it was like great, great offense, guys. Yeah, it was infuriating, solidly infuriating. But yeah, Trey Burke. Killing it. His effective field goal percentage in spot ups is um, 62.5, to put it another way. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> he's, play- he's playing like a superstar. The guy's playing like a superstar offensively. I mean, there's like no two ways about it right now. Um, you have one more question, right? Or two? I, I do. I just have one more question. One more. It's, so we know Trey Burke is shooting 56.9% from mid-range. Um, and that's... So we know that he's really good. Where is he ranked among the rest of the league on players who shot at least 100 mid-range field goal attempts? In terms of his field goal percentage? Yeah, so where does that... Where does his percentage rank in the league at a minimum, you know, at a minimum of 100 it's mid-range gotta shots? Be, I would say it's top five. Uh, it is top five. Is it number one? No, it's not number one. Okay. I was going to say three. That was my real answer. <laughs> well, he's actually tied for second. Okay. So, te- so number one is Steph Curry. He's shooting 60% on mid-range shots. Oh, my you know, God. It's, yeah. it's hilariously efficient. And he's tied with Mike Scott for second place. Wow. On, uh, is he still on Atlanta? I think he's on Washington now. Oh God! Okay, yeah. Yeah, like I was surprised. I was like Mike Scott. I was like, he's still, he's still playing. I was like, oh, good job, Mike Scott. <laughs> good for you. Yeah, third place is Chris Paul at fifty-two point six percent from mid-range. I mean, uh, yeah. Trey Burke, he shoots well from three. Like he might be able to. I'm like talking. Myself, I'm putting him at like thirty percent of like maintaining most of this. I don't know. He, why can't good things happen to us? It would be frustrating for Frank, but if he was like as good as he seems like he is right now, mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's that's a great problem to have. I mean, <laughs> well, it's one of those things like if Burke is going to be this efficient and he's going to also be really good spotting up, you can then run like those three guard lineups with Burke and Tim Hardaway and you know and Frank and like have a nice like motion offense. Everyone's moving and cutting and getting good looks. It can work. Yeah, I mean, Frank, just, the thing with Frank, it's like, I mean, Frank being able to credibly defend threes means you can do all kinds of shit with him. Like, that's the beauty of Frank. And there's no reason his point guard skills have to stall if you develop him properly and give him those opportunities to initiate the offense. So, Yeah, that's, you know, that's, it's mainly up to coaching yeah. staff. But, like, if, if Burke is doing, like, you know, like Victor Oladipo has done this entire season... Like, if Burke is going to be this efficient for, like, the next couple of years, right. then, yeah, you kind of have to, like, fit him in and make it work because he's been that good. Oh, you have to. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little frustrating because I don't fully trust the Knicks, although, like, they're slowly building it, like, Lego brick by Lego brick. But, you know, I'm not going to fully invest myself in believing that they're competent until they do a couple more solid moves, so... We'll see. Yep. We'll see what happens there. But this was a really fun sewed. I enjoyed this pop quiz format. Um, Drew, thank you for joining us. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Um, the only thing I would plug is basically check out the stuff we're doing at Holyfield, mm-hmm. um, and then also I'm in the next I would say week or so since I'm like doing like other things. But I should be publishing a new article, which is the uh, creation of a new statistic that involves shooting. So stay tuned for that. This is probably one of the things I'm pretty proud of. So I think everyone should like this new statistic as well. Nice. Uh, Let me know when that goes up, and I'll let our listeners know about it. Oh, absolutely. All right. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Jen. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Had a great time talking to Drew. I hope you guys enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. That's it for us. Thank you so much for listening to Locked On Knicks. If you got a moment, rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Tell you know your butcher about it. Tell your allergist about it. It's that season. If you got runny nose and, you know, your allergist is like, well, do you have a cat? You're like, that's not important. What's important is that you should listen to Locked on Knicks. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Knicks. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA Injury Report. Be chill to each other. Spay and neuter your pets. If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Always salt the pasta water. It's your only opportunity to season the pasta itself. That's it. Have a good rest of your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace.